Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and this past week has seen the Pac-12 and Big Ten conferences choosing to postpone their fall sports seasons due to concerns over the continuing COVID-19 pandemic. With the coronavirus still wreaking havoc on sports and America in general, I thought it would be good to check back in with former USC water polo player and the associate chief in the Division of Thoracic Surgery, director of robotic surgery, and assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, Dr. Seamus Carr. Seamus, thanks for coming back on the podcast, and I believe you have some job news to share with all of us. Yeah, thanks, Nara. been a long time since March. Since then, I've accepted a position at the National Institute of Health and the National Cancer Institute. So early this fall, I'll be leaving the University of Maryland and starting my position down doing both clinical and basic science research focused on epigenetics in lung cancer and esophageal cancer. So I'm kind of looking forward to the next chapter of my career. That sounds like some exciting news and an exciting opportunity for you. And because of where the NIH NCI is located, you don't even have to move. Yeah, not so sure I would have probably jumped at the job if I had had to move. My kids, as you know, the twins are starting ninth grade here in the fall and my son's starting sixth grade. So kind of those formative years and didn't want to be moving them around and just kind of came up a little bit out of the blue. And yeah, it's been great. And so we're excited to not move from Baltimore. I'll just commute when I need to and join the faculty down at the National Institute of Health. That's great. And looking forward to talking to you more about that in the future. But of course, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, please download, subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary or TuneIn. You can also always go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Narawang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Now, I know Dr. Carr is not on Twitter, but where would you recommend us trying to find more information about coronavirus or other health issues? Yeah, I'm the social media dinosaur in the family as my daughters are on Snapchat and everything else. I'm on LinkedIn and that's just kind of about it. But for information and knowledge, obviously, I really recommend people, as I did back in March, continue to keep up to date both the CDC and the NIH websites on COVID-19. And additionally, for more personalized information, you can always look to your local Department of Health at the city, county, or state levels. And now a word from Bet Online. The playoffs have begun in the NBA and NHL bubbles, MLB is in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Do you think the Lakers and Clippers will meet up in the Western Conference Finals, or can the Blazers and Mavericks pull off monumental upsets? Either way, you can get in on the action at betonline.ag. Take full advantage of sports being back with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So, head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. It was exactly five months ago in March when Dr. Carr joined Frosty Rucker and I on the previous incarnation of this podcast to discuss the beginnings of the COVID-19 pandemic shortly after the NCAA had made the decision to cancel all winter sports championships and the entire spring sports season. Now, he's joining me shortly after the NCAA has decided to not hold championships for the 2020 fall sports because of the lack of teams playing following the decisions by the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big East, Mountain West, Mid-American, and all FCS conferences 
to postpone their seasons. Meanwhile, the Big 12, ACC, and SEC are all saying that they are still proceeding with their plans to try to have athletic competitions in the fall. Before we get to comparing the different responses by the various conferences about whether to play or not, I want to first credit Seamus for being right in March when he said that the coronavirus wasn't going away anytime soon and ask you now, where does our country stand in terms of the pandemic? Well, I think we're starting to realize a little bit more and making some progress. We're learning more about this disease. When we spoke about it before, I mean, we barely knew anything and we knew a little bit about incubation times and testing. And what we're learning about more is who's it's affecting. We're learning more about how does it affect people. We're learning that the effects on different age groups is actually different. And I'm sure we'll probably have a chance to talk about that later in the show. We're seeing that states that have been a little bit more liberal, and what I mean by that is opening quicker, saying that, you know, we don't need to wear masks and allowing, not having to respect social distancing. Those states, Florida, Texas, and unfortunately, you know, California aren't doing so hot right now. And states that really took it badly, like New York City, when we had the podcast back in March, have completely locked down and they're doing incredibly well. My parents are up in Connecticut and Connecticut had a huge scare and they very early went into lockdown because of what was going on in New York City. And since then, they've been one of the leaders in the country in terms of good control and mitigation and to the point where travel into Connecticut is banned from 31 states currently in the United States. You want to travel to Connecticut and you come from any of those 31 states and Maryland's one of them. It's not that you're not welcome, but they expect you to show up and lock yourself in a room for two weeks. So I think we're learning a lot and I think there's more to come. There's still going to be more to come. And I think the virus is also starting to have some issues with mutation. And so I think we're going to start to see things a little bit differently, which may be one of the reasons why we're having some changes in who seems to be on the rise in terms of getting the virus. Yeah. And why the Big Ten and Pac-12 decided not to play fall sports. A big reason that they mentioned was the advice that they are receiving from their medical advisory boards. And the Pac-12 is shutting down all sports until 2021 at the earliest, which means winter sports that usually start in the fall as well, like basketball, are going to be postponed as well in some way. And in terms of what the medical advisory boards are telling these conferences, it seems like it's being interpreted in different ways because the Big 12 came out and said, yeah, we're seeing the same data, but right now we're just going to keep on with our schedule and try and play football in the fall. So how is it that you have the Pac-12 and the Big 10 shutting down fall sports? Meanwhile, the Big 12 says, hey, we got the same information, but we're going to go on. Are the Pac-12 and Big 10 being overly cautious or is the Big 12 downplaying concerns about the coronavirus? Great question. It's one of those things where I think there's a lot of data out there that one can interpret and how the way you see it. And I'm sure, while obviously having not been part of that for any of those kind of conferences, a lot of the information probably starts to become one where you look locally. And so, you know, California, which has been incredibly badly hit even as of recent, and I think was up around 15,000 cases a day not too long ago. They're seeing this really high number and they're saying like, listen, we got a lot of schools and Arizona was having some issues while Oregon and Washington State seem to be doing quite well. And so even though you're geographically kind of together, I think I would be very much worried about going into California, especially with the positivity rate. Whereas I could imagine some of the other schools from the Big 12 were significantly more rural, even if the schools are in their metropolises, like Stillwater. I mean, the population of Stillwater, Oklahoma is not Los Angeles. And so my guess is that they're looking at this data and saying, hey, we're rural, we're already a little bit distant, and therefore we're less likely to have it. And our positivity rate is maybe not so high for a state. And they're feeling that maybe they can do something about this and give it a shot. But I think one of the things we've started to see after New York is that the next wave has kind of hit a lot of the other major cities, you know, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, Phoenix. But now we're starting to see it's starting to hit rural America. And the bigger worry that I have is if it does 
really hit rural America, not only is the population density lower, but the resources are lower. Intensive care unit beds, hospitals, amount of hospital beds. And when those things get incredibly low, we could see potentially an even larger disaster through rural America than we were seeing in the big cities. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it plays out in a different way, but I have skepticism. And I think it's healthy to have some skepticism, especially when you're seeing all of the stuff that has come out since we last talked five months ago. And here's the thing. The Pac-12 and the Big Ten are both worried about the effects that COVID-19 might have long-term on those who test positive, and even if they recover enough, how is their physical condition going forward? We've seen the mother of one of the Indiana football players get viral with a Facebook post about how her son is still dealing with issues. We've seen a picture for the Boston Red Sox, Eduardo Rodriguez, test positive, and then he's out for the season because of heart issues. We're seeing that myocarditis might be one of the lingering effects for some of the athletes. Now for USC, which by the way is not going to play football in the fall for the first time since 1913, if people can believe that, and they've had a lot of tests on their student athletes across all sports, only eight positive tests so far for the coronavirus, and of those eight, they've also been tested further, and so far none are showing any kind of heart issues But maybe talk to us a little bit more about these reports of athletes dealing with heart issues, including myocarditis, and how it might affect them, because we just don't know a lot of things yet about the long-term effects, right? Yeah, well, we, we know a lot about viral myocarditis, which is what this is. And I'll take a step into explaining that. So myocarditis is a medical term for an inflamed heart. And so viral myocarditis just becomes the specific type of myocarditis. And while the viral myocarditis from COVID and from a different type of virus, they're both considered viral myocarditis, they can have different implications and they can have different effects. What we're seeing in some patients with this viral myocarditis from the COVID, they're having significant drop off in the function of the heart. And one of the ways we look at that is called ejection fraction. And that's how well does your left heart, the left ventricle pump the blood to your body. In a seasoned athlete, even kind of the local level, the, you know, kind of maybe what I've become kind of the pretty good runner for my age group, we have ejection fractions of probably 70, maybe 75%, which is, that's it. You always have to have a little blood in your heart. So you can't have 100%. And, you know, our hearts are work and they're efficient, but you can get myocarditis and the heart's stunned and the muscles don't work as well and they're inflamed. And you can get ejection fractions of 5 and 10 and 15%. And when that happens, your body just can't pump the blood well enough or fast enough around your body. And so these are people who, if you get viral myocarditis in a depressed ejection fraction, you know, this is an athlete who was previously running a, you know, a 4440 is not going to be able to walk from one end of his dorm room to the other without getting short of breath. And it's also affecting lungs. Personal story, I've helped started to coach the water polo team at a school here that my son goes to in Baltimore called Gilman. And they're just doing some preseason training. Just actually was unfortunately announced yesterday that the MIAA, the Maryland Interscholastic Athletic Association, is going to cancel all fall sports at this point also. But they've decided to, you know, at least keep the guys together and to let them train with social distancing and appropriate precautions. One of the guys on the team, I found out, did have COVID back in February of this year. And I was talking to him the other day, and he, after swim sets, and he said that his lungs just still are not back to normal. He's asymptomatic, no issues, been five months. And this kid's a pretty solid student athlete. And he's like, I'm still feeling it. He goes, my lungs aren't back to normal yet. So there's a lot more that's going to happen, I think. And we're going to find out even more. And some of these effects become lifelong. Viral myocarditis, when it gets really bad, sometimes is treated with heart transplantation. So now we're talking about risking athletes to get a virus, which could have been prevented, and they end up with a heart transplant. This doesn't sound like We've got the best interest of the student athletes at heart, in my opinion, Nara. 
Yeah, and especially for those who might have underlying issues like asthma or they've had leukemia in the past or other type of cancers or diabetes or any kind of thing like that, isn't that possible to be even more of a danger to those athletes? Because even if they get it and they recover, they had these underlying issues going in. Yeah, what we're seeing is that the underlying issues definitely seem to play into the whole picture and how well things go. We could literally talk about COVID for hours. Different blood types, some do better. If your blood type is O, you actually seem to do better than if your blood type is A. So there's so much we're learning. But yeah, underlying conditions definitely set you up to potentially have a harder course if you do come down with COVID. And so the main question here, really, because... We're still waiting on what the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are going to do. As of right now, they plan on pushing forward and trying to play football. And so far, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are the two Power 5 conferences that have decided not to play football in the fall. Is it really possible to play football safely in this current environment? There's no vaccine yet. I mean, football is not a social distance sport. You're right there hitting people. Offensive and defensive linemen are in the trenches going up against each other, breathing on each other on every play. Even if you're putting in these new face shields that they've been trying to add to helmets and things like that, how safe is it really unless you're guaranteed to know that everyone out there is negative for the virus? I agree with you, Nara. I don't think we know. And my bigger worry is that if we look at kind of what's going on. And people say, well, look at the NBA, the bubble, and, and look at how well they've done. Well, okay, yeah, but these are multi-billion dollar nearly organizations who were able to lock all of their players into hotel rooms and get court time with no fans, and they're out there doing their thing. They're not exiting and entering, and they have all of the resources from cash to do the tests, to do all of the checks, to make sure everything goes well, and they're able to play it. I just don't see in today's day and age, and especially with, you know, you look at the downturn in the economy with everything that's happened due to the virus, that we're going to all of a sudden be able to do that same level of commitment and then lock down every student athlete. I mean, I was reading Larry Scott's thing. There's like, what, 7,000 student athletes, right, in the pack. 12 alone. So how do you lock down 7,000 athletes and test them once a week? That's a huge financial cost. And then with the face shields, you know, my son plays lacrosse here in Maryland, and they've been talking about putting face shields on all of the lacrosse helmets. And my son tried one on the other day and he's like, dad, it's not easy to breathe. So he's sitting there trying to hustle through things and he's got a full face shield on and it's actually affecting these kids are overheating. There's no air coming in from the front. So I mean, again, I worry about the health of the student athlete. And I think we need to put that highest. Look, like you, I'm a huge fan of sports. I'm an even bigger fan of college sports than I am of professional in all college sports. I love all of the stuff from you know lacrosse to cross country, definitely water polo and football, baseball. I love it all. But I just, these are young athletes and they've got a whole life ahead of them. I think we need to be prudent. I totally agree with you. Now, this question I have, because you brought up all the other sports, everything here seems to be driven completely by football, which is not surprising after all. It is the economic moneymaker for all of college sports is college football. But when you look at everything being lumped in together, so because football has to be canceled, we're canceling water polo and women's volleyball and all these other fall sports. Do you agree that all of these sports should basically be postponed or canceled as well, along with football? Or should these sports be looked at individually on a case-by-case basis? Wow, that's a great question. I think the really simple answer, unfortunately, is you kind of just cancel everything because everything becomes a slippery slope. Well, if we let so-and-so do it, can we let somebody else do it? And water polo is much like football. I mean, First of all, you're in the water, so you got to be close to people, and you're breathing on them. And if you're underwater, you're drowning, and therefore you always are above them and blowing in people's faces. So, you know, I think water polo is another sport which, I mean, when we're practicing here with the high school kids here in Baltimore, there's no offense-defense. It's You just run the offense. The offense just 
plays with no defense just to kind of run some stuff and move the ball around because we don't want to put the kids with a defensive player next to them. But there are other sports like tennis. I'm not so sure why we can't do NCAA tennis. I mean, the opponents, they're a court apart. There's a net between the two of them. So I understand why we're doing it, but I think it would be really great if we had some sports that we were able to maybe bring back and see how they did ones that are incredibly low risk, that are non-contact, and see what kind of happens. And look, I'd watch it. I'd probably watch more men's tennis if it was on ESPN than just when it's the NCAA championship. And I think those of us who really enjoy sports and things like that, that we'll watch it. We'll watch stuff and we'll root for our team. And you know, we'll definitely root for USC beating UCLA, no matter what the sport is. So it could be chess. It could be, ch- exactly. It could be chess. It's a little close though. Chess is a little close. The boards are uh, pretty small, <laughs> but uh, at least it's non-contact and they could probably wear a mask. But I would be interested as we reopen things for them to start to say, could we try sports that are a little bit more socially distant? But I do worry about baseball. And you'd think that was a socially distant sport because Major League Baseball is having all kinds of problems. You know, the St. Louis Cardinals, right, missed a bunch of games recently because of COVID testing. And they had to, what, two or three series. And I know there have been some other teams. Yeah, the Marlins were the first to have the outbreak. And then, yeah, the Cardinals sitting out for like two weeks. They've had a lot of issues with players and staff testing positive. And so it's clearly showing that the MLB tried to do it with no bubble. And it's, again, tough to do it in that sport with a bubble, but they are not succeeding very well in keeping coronavirus out. We're seeing the NBA and the NHL have bubbles, and again, those two sports are more conducive to a bubble, but they are doing a lot better, and I think that's what NCAA is going to have to look at. Are you going to try and do some kind of bubbles with men's and women's basketball when you try and start those sports up? You just can't put football in a bubble. That's impossible, basically. But with some sports, you can do it. I agree. I think there are some sports like tennis and golf that you can do where there's minimal contact and you can try and keep people safer as long as everyone is testing negative. I think you can try and play those type of competitions. But in the end, we're really waiting on a vaccine so that we can get things going forward in a more positive manner, or we're waiting for more tests to become available, more point-of-care tests that are quicker, but right now, obviously, those are not as accurate, so you're not sure if you're going to get the best results from those. And so, in the end, is it talking about postponement, or are we talking about cancellation until things are actually on a better course? I think the optimist in all of us says, well, we'll just postpone. And I think that's one of the reasons why they canceled the winter championships and then canceled all of the spring sports. And I just kind of feel that the NCAA was just kind of kicking the ball down the road. I don't think there's been very good leadership from Mark Emmerich on this, if I can be pointed on him. But they were just kicking the can down the road, kicking the can, kicking the can, and believing that somehow it was just going to get better. It was going to magically go away, whatever, that the vaccine was going to be out by the fall. We would have had better control over it. And that wasn't what was happening. And COVID's around to stay. This isn't going to go away. This virus is around to stay. It is in the worldwide population. And eventually, like any good pandemic, we'll be on the other side of it. But as Dr. Fauci says, who's soon to be one of my colleagues down at the NIH, we're not the ones who are dictating the way this is going to go. It's going to be the virus that dictates how things need to go. And I think we need to be a little bit more respectful of that. And I just think that the NCA could have started making plans a long time ago instead of just hoping. And then therefore now we're here where we don't really have good options. We don't have good ideas. And so everybody just says, well, we'll postpone, we'll postpone, we'll postpone. And look, I get it. There's a lot of money involved. I mean, it's hard to justify the multi-million dollar salaries of all of these college football coaches and a lot of basketball coaches, and even Gino Ariyama, the, the women's basketball coach in Connecticut, who's a multi-million dollar contract, and there's no money coming in, right? So I see it, I understand it, and it stinks, but I just, I don't know, it's concerning, all right. Yeah, and looking to the NCAA for any kind of leadership is a lost cause. I've always been a big, I don't want to say hater, but a big 
critic of how the NCAA runs a lot of its business. And so I'm totally in agreement with you there. Again, this is Nar Wang, along with Dr. Seamus Carr here on the Everything USC podcast, talking about the effect of coronavirus on sports, specifically with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten making the decision to shut down the fall sports season. And so again, they are characterizing this as a postponement pushing everything to 2021. So let's just say that they're going to be able to play a spring football season. Now, the other issue is, can you play two football seasons in the same calendar year? How safe is that for student athletes to try and do? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I read an interesting article on it the other day. I'm sure it's the same thing that you and all of your listeners have read also. And somebody said it's actually, they think it's going to be less total hits over the course of the season because there is spring football. There were spring practices, and so now instead we have spring football. From an athlete standpoint, these athletes are training year round, really, at this point, even in college. And so I think they would probably be fine to get through a season. The only thing that would be a bummer would be the bigger injuries, right? The ACLs and those kind of bad injuries that almost always require some type of surgical intervention because they're not going to miss one season. They're going to miss two. Right now, if you know you blow out your ACL during the middle of your season, well, by the time you actually get in, get your surgery, get through your rehab, it's six to nine months before you're really coming back up to full speed on an ACL if you do it appropriately. And you can imagine that if you blow your ACL in March, you're really not going to be back until December. So I would feel bad that we're going to take away not just one, but two seasons for these athletes who get injured. And I see that as a downside, actually. And the other issue is, will any of the high profile players be around or will they just bag it and start preparing for the NFL draft? So sure, we might get college football in early 2021. But the superstars, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Justin Fields at Ohio State, even someone like Talanoa Hufanga at USC, a junior this season who is rated high on a lot of prospects for the NFL in the future. What if he decides that, hey, I was only going to play one more season and go early anyway. Do I really want to risk an injury by playing in this spring season when I can go and turn pro? I mean, that's the other issue there. Yeah. But at the same time, there's plenty of other sports where people are playing and their drafts, like, you know, college baseball, the draft occurs around the time of the College World Series normally. So these guys are still out there diving and running and hustling while the draft is going on. So they don't get time to take it off for their draft. Obviously, football and injuries are different. You know, in college hockey, I mean, I know some of the guys get drafted and they still go and play you know, a year or two of college hockey, and then they go on to their careers. So there's ways around this, I think. But unfortunately, it requires some leadership from Mark Emmerich again. And again, I don't think you or I ever hate anybody, but yeah, we're definitely not fans of the presidents of the NCAA. Yeah, I don't hate him. I just don't think he does a very good job. That's a basic tenet of that. So in the end, the Big 12, ACC, SEC, two-part question for you here. Do you think they end up playing football number one? And number two, if they do play, are they going to be able to get through a full season without the issues that we've seen with Major League Baseball? Let me answer the second part first, and the answer is no. They will not (laughs) get through the season without something akin to what's going on. And then, you know, my question really becomes is, what are they going to do? So let's say there is an outbreak on the Clemson football team, and they're not able to play. They were scheduled to play some team that was winless in their conference, does that other team get a forfeit? Does then Clemson get a loss against their record because they didn't show up because they had a COVID outbreak? It's a little unfair to Clemson, but at the same time, if the student athletes were doing a better job of protecting themselves and doing what's right, then they might not have had that. So, I mean, you can see how this becomes a challenge. And then if they do play, What if there's an outbreak and now all of a sudden you have two teams and then they're going back to their college campuses? And now we've got two schools in very different states with a bunch of 18 to 23-year-old people getting really sick. And I know recently, what, 40, 45 students at USC, right, a fraternity came down positive with COVID. So I'm worried. Look, I get it. They want to see football. They want to see sports. 
but I don't think they're going to get away with it. Well, I don't know. I hope they're more prudent. And I wish they would really take into account the student athlete. Again, we were students first. Sure, 2% are going to go on and make money doing their sport. But the rest of us, we just return to normalcy. We move on from college sports and we had a great time. But, you know, go to law school, medical school, business school, start jobs. We start companies. We become researchers. That's really what the vast majority of student athletes become. I think jeopardizing all of those people and their careers, I don't think it's the right thing to do. But unfortunately, money talks, and I hope that's not going to be what drives it. Unfortunately, I believe you're right. And I think it's just going to take one more of those big three conferences left to decide to fold, and then the other two are going to be forced to fold as well, because I don't think you're going to have a legitimate season with two Power Five conferences playing. So I think one more of those conferences to decide that it's not worth it to play, and then we will not have fall sports in college for this 2020 season. Now, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast directories. Subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can reach out to me, ask me questions about USC or any kind of sports on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dr. Seamus Carr here, currently with the University of Maryland School of Medicine, but soon to be moving on to the National Institutes of Health and National Cancer Institute. You're not on Twitter or anything like that, but let people know some information about where they can go to get their health news. Yeah, again, health news, especially for COVID, that's really what we're talking about today. The CDC and the NIH websites are constantly updated on the latest of this. Also, another one, if you want to look at how kind of things are going from a resource standpoint and how your state is doing, the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine page, if you do Johns Hopkins and type COVID into Google, you'll be able to get to that. That can look at states. And then for local stuff, continue to use your local county or state departments of health. Hey, everybody. Marcus Grant here from the NFL Network. Hope you're enjoying the Everything USC podcast with my longtime friend Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Believe in Trojan sports and fight on. Now, especially since you've brought up in this podcast the importance of Worrying about the student athletes, I want to talk to you about the hashtag We Are United movement started by Pac 12 athletes. On August 2nd, a group of Pac 12 football players released a message on the Players Tribune website that called for changes from the conference to, quote, protect and benefit both scholarship athletes and walk ons, unquote. Their demands were separated into four categories health and safety protections, protect all sports end racial injustice in college sports and society, and economic freedom and unity. They said that unless the demands were guaranteed in writing by the Pac-12, they would opt out of fall camp and game participation. Well, after the Pac-12 chose to postpone fall sports, this group has criticized the conference and its commissioner, Larry Scott, for being unprepared to deal with the health and safety issues they were bringing up and saying their concerns were not being properly addressed and considered. Seamus, you were a walk-on for the USC water polo team. What are your feelings about this hashtag We Are United movement? I couldn't be prouder that this came out of the Pac-12. I think it is time that student-athletes really start to unite. And I felt at USC we were united. I had great friends on all of the different teams, men's and women's tennis and baseball and football, swimmers, a lot of good friendships and a lot of time. And people I'm still in touch with to this day. It was great. And I really felt like we were a united front. And sure, football gets the lion's share of the money and the resources, but that didn't mean that we didn't get those same resources on an appropriate level. I really feel that there's been a bit of marginalization, again, from the NCAA and a lot of colleges where we start minimizing what what I'm going to call the minor sports you know, turning around and canceling squash, the squash team at Stanford. 
Squash is a great sport. In fact, actually, here's my plug. My daughter plays, and she's quite good. If any college recruiters are out there listening, this is a great sport. It's a social sport. It's a sport that has long-term health benefits, and it's a sport that you can carry on and play into your 60s and 70s. You know, it's a little bit like golf and tennis, whereas football, you're not playing tackle football in your 50s. Well, you probably aren't feeling very well the next day, you know, but I think it's really great to see the football players take a lead on this and saying like, look, we're all student athletes and we've got to be cognizant of each other because without one, we don't have the other. And I think that's critically important. I read their requests on the We Are United movement. And I think a lot of them are really good. I also read Commissioner Larry Scott's reply. And while it covered a few things, like I noticed that the student athletes wanted six years of health benefits for possible injuries that are sustained while athletes. And the Pac-12 does four years, at least based upon what I saw from Larry Scott and other conferences do significantly less. I think it's the right thing to do. And I'm really proud that it's the Pac-12 that's leading the way nationally on this front of really respecting the athlete and the student athlete, more importantly. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us in the general public, we can look at the list of demands and agree with a lot of them. I think the one that really stuck out to people, though, was the one that was asking for 50% of each sport's total conference revenue be distributed evenly among the athletes in their respective sports. To me, I read that as, well, football and men's basketball players will make some money, but all of you in the other sports are not going to make any money if it's based on the revenue coming in from your sport because you're not making money in those sports. So are these demands all feasible? I think a lot of them are in terms of getting better health and safety care, especially when it comes to the coronavirus and everything like that. But when you throw in a big ask that, let's be honest, is not going to be met, can you really believe that these demands are all feasible for a group that's asking for a lot? Yeah, obviously not. I mean, it's a nice opening discussion point. And as I read that, I I definitely see your point, but I read that a little differently, I'll be honest. I read it that What they're looking for is to make sure that there is some compensation across the board for all student athletes to allow us to have gotten a little extra money. We can't hold jobs. We can't work at the bookstore or in a lab or things like that with all the hours we put in for our sport. So I could imagine that while I think they want the money to come back to the student athletes, and I'm fine with maybe basketball players and football players getting more than the water polo players or the cross-country runners or things like that, at the same breath, I think that the way I read it was that there's the possibility that they may actually open it up to all athletes. And I think when they do that, then they're going to get buy-in from not just the 12 football teams, but they're going to get buy-in from that 7,000 student-athlete-strong contingent. And when you start to have that many athletes start asking for things, I think it improves their bargaining and their position. So it'll be interesting. You're right. But I think they're not going to get everything they want, but I think that they bring up a lot of really, really good points and issues, especially around ending racial injustice, protection, health benefits, safety. And transparency. I love the fact of discussing of transparency. I think that we don't need to say the name of the student athlete that maybe tested positive for COVID, but there should be a tally somewhere that we know what's really going on with COVID testing. You know, Syracuse and Pitt last week both did not take part in any practices for a day or two because there was a concern of a mini outbreak. Well, I haven't heard anything more. Did they test? Did they not test? Did they get the results? Did they not get the results? So I think there needs to be better transparency. I would totally agree with that. And I think most of the Pac-12 schools have been on board with that. Like I mentioned, USC has announced close to 700 tests of athletes and only eight positive tests thus far. And I think the other issue that you brought up that is really important is that there is strength in numbers. However, with all the different varied viewpoints you get from being in different sports and in different schools throughout the conference, 
can you really get enough athletes from different sports on different campuses to get on the same page to get through this without fracturing? Because again, as we've seen throughout history, when it comes to labor unions against management, management is going to try and break the labor unions and cause dissension. And once there's dissension, you're not going to get your demands. So how can you get all of these athletes from different sports together and stay on the same page to get what they want? I think it's going to come down to leadership. And if I was able to kind of advise this group, again, in my time at USC playing water polo, not just on my team, but across USC, and then getting to know guys who played up at Stanford and Cal. And there are some amazing leaders out there. There are some amazing leaders, even at UCLA. There's amazing leaders out there. And I think you could find leaders in swimming. You could find leaders in squash, women's squash up at Stanford. There's a woman who plays up there. She's from my daughter's high school, very talented player. That all-girls school here in Baltimore, they produce leaders. I think she would be incredibly open to this and be willing to share her perspective. And I think it needs to be both male and female athletes. And I think it needs to be broad. And I think you're right. They're going to try to get dissension, but the key is to say, listen, we're still going to do our thing. We're still going to be athletes. But I think by finding a way to find the right leaders, you can totally do this. And I think that's the key to those kind of discussions and bargaining. Keep it broad, keep it varied. And I know the leaders are there in the Pac-12. I know there are student leaders out there that would be able to step up to this and would be amazing at it. And they just need to find them. Yeah. And again, this is just the beginning of the process. So we'll see how this movement goes forward. But again, it's already spread. The Big Ten players released something shortly after the Pac-12 did. And then hashtag we want to play movement kind of started before the Big Ten and Pac-12 conferences decide to shut down their seasons as players from across the country and all of the Power Five conferences united to put out a statement, a message on social media about their desires to try and play football. So it's good to see that student athletes across the country are realizing that they can use this time to use the leverage, I guess, that they have now with what's going on socially to try and get better things for themselves while they are in college. And again, I think most people are behind it. We're just going to have to see what comes of it as we move forward through what is a crazy time, really, in America as a whole. So Unprecedented time, yeah. Unprecedented is correct. Again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast. I am your host, Nara Wang. My guest today, longtime friend of mine, going back to my days at USC, Dr. Seamus Carr, currently at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, but soon to be joining the National Institute of Health and National Cancer Institute. If you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and tune in all of your favorite podcast directories. You can also go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and find us on social media at Believe Podcasts. To reach out to me directly, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dr. Carr is not on Twitter, but he can give you some places where you can go to find out more about health issues or more specifically the coronavirus. For the up-to-date information on the coronavirus, you should start at both websites for the CDC and the National Institutes of Health, NIH.gov. And as for more of a local perspective and information, continue to reach out and look for the web pages for both your local city, county, and state departments of health. Hi, this is Mike Am, studio host for Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM Radio, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, before I let you go, Seamus, final thoughts I want to address with you. What is the progress toward a vaccine for COVID-19? And until one is approved and made widely available, what is the sports landscape going to be like? Well, 
Let me get out my crystal ball here, Nara, <laughs> and see what it shows. Unfortunately, it's cracked in at the shop getting fixed. Well, let me start at the beginning. Vaccines, where are we? Growth. You know, as everybody knows, there are a ton of companies. I think there's actually a hundred worldwide that are working on different iterations of a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2. You know, there's the press release that was put out in Russia that they somehow have a vaccine. Skeptical would be a very optimistic term for that one. In the United States, there are a number of companies that are moving on to what we call phase three trials. And what that means is that they've moved to humans. And on top of it, a phase three trial, there are people who are getting the vaccine and there are people who are not getting the vaccine. And then we're seeing what happens to those two cohorts in terms of do they develop COVID and become positive or do they not? So we're still, I think, a long way away from that. I guess it depends on one's definition along. I wouldn't suspect we're going to see anything until early 2021, maybe magically late 2020. And then once we do get it, one of the issues is going to be obviously the production. So they're going to need to ramp up to get the vaccine made so that it can be delivered to people. Then the question is going to be, who do we give it to first? And I'm not just saying this because I'm a physician, but I think specifically in healthcare, we need to be giving it to the nurses who are on the front line first. Then in that same group needs to be the physicians who are in the intensive care unit who are managing the sickest of the sick. After that, then we can start working our way to other people and other healthcare providers. And then once we know that our healthcare providers are safe, because if they all get sick and they're not doing well, then we're really going to be in trouble if everybody gets sick. Then I think we can continue to move outward like waves on a pond after a rock goes in. So I would worry that we're really looking a year from now before we're really turning around and saying that we have a vaccine and we've vaccinated enough people to start to get what we call herd immunity. And to generate that, we're talking 70 to 80% of people need to have a vaccine or the protection with antibodies from the offending agent. So in this case, um, SARS-CoV-2 before it's really going to be safe to not have to worry about the same issues. So, you know, 80% of the United States, 330 million people, that's a lot of, and that's 8 billion people on the planet. That's a lot of vaccine. So I think it's going to be some time. I don't think we should all, you know, say, well, we'll be able to play sports in the spring because everybody will have a vaccine. Additionally, one of the things we don't know is the antibodies that are generated. So the way a vaccine works is it primes your body's immune system. So that way, if the virus does enter it, the human body then would recognize that virus and attack it and so that it prevents you from getting sick. With that being said, we need to make sure that the vaccine is one that produces long-standing antibodies. So if you get antibodies and they go away after a period of time for whatever reason, that's not going to be a very effective vaccine. And that's stuff which we still don't have information on yet. And that's coming in the not-too-distant future. But the ability to have a widespread available vaccine to everybody in the population is 2021, hopefully in the early 2021. But my fear is that with everything that we've seen, we may not be doing any sports at the college level for this coming year. And I hope that's not the case because I just don't think college sports and all college sports, you know, because while it's great and it's wonderful to talk about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, the Big 12 and the ACC and the SEC, there are plenty of schools out there that are playing sports and the student athletes need to be safe too. Johns Hopkins, which right here in Baltimore, they play some division one sports such as baseball, but then they have other sports, which they're playing at the division three level. You know, there's schools like Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute up in Troy, New York plays division one hockey and everything else is division three. So we need to be able to be safe and protect all of the athletes and not just that 2% that are going to go on and play professional. I think that's the right thing to do. And that would be something, if I could put in a plug to the We Are United group, they should be asking for that. It needs to be uniform to all athletes, not just the top tier that are going to make it as professionals. And then what else? Can we play in bubbles? I think you can. I think it can be done right. It's going to be expensive and it's going to be a challenge. But I think the NBA and the NHL have shown that it's possible. Premier League soccer in England has shown that it is possible. 
I think Major League Baseball is showing you better have a plan. Nara knows that both my brother and I are Cubs fans, and so no love lost towards the cards, but what's going to happen to all the games they miss? Are we going to try to shove a bunch of, I mean, it's like we're watching Little League Baseball. I mean, Major League Baseball is now playing, what, seven innings for a doubleheader because we don't have the time to get around to playing all of these games on a very condensed schedule. There's some issues. It's going to take leadership. It's going to take thoughts on all fronts, you know, from my soon-to-be colleague at the NIH, Dr. Fauci, to everybody else out there. It's going to take leadership across the board. Yeah, we are all missing these sports. We all want it to come back, but I think the key is that we want it to come back safely. And for right now, it seems to be very divided on whether you can play some sports safely. And with that, in my personal opinion, until there is a vaccine that is widely distributed, it's going to be an issue for sports to be played or not played. And you're right. I'm hoping that we're going to see sports in early 2021, even if the fall sports all end up getting canceled and we're only looking at winter and spring sports. I think people would be okay if we get an NCAA big dance men's basketball tournament that was canceled this year if we get it back in 2021. And that still remains to be seen. I think there's a lot of optimism for it. But in the end, like you said, we're not dictating this. The virus is dictating this. And we'll have to see where it goes from there. And thanks a lot for you know inviting me on, Nara. And I wish everybody the best of luck and to stay safe. And you know, I remember one of the last things I said to you and Frosty back in March was, wear a mask, wash your hands, and continue to socially distance. And that same message stands today. Good advice. We hope you all listen to that. And so for my guest and good friend, Dr. Seamus Carr, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode nine of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles's number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.